I am about to study the incorruptible, inerrant word of God. I open my heart to God's message. I humble my mind to his wisdom, and I rest my hopes on his grace. I will accept its rebukes with repentance, rejoice in its truth by faith, and trust in his promises that can never fail. I can do what it says I can do. I can change what it says I can change, as I trust in his grace and spirit. I covenant with God that I am ready to grow, I'm ready to change, oh, and I'm ready to change as I hide his word in my heart and honor Jesus Christ as the Lord of my life. All right, you may be seated. I don't know why they put that on the back. I can't read it anyway. Sorry. All right, so you are in for an incredible message this morning. Um, part of our name, and he'll allude to it in the message, we're New Hope, and this morning you should have New Hope. Get them. Good morning, New Hope. How are we doing? Is doing good? Great. What a privilege to share with you guys today. It is, uh, it is with mixed emotions that I'm, that I'm speaking to you today because I had, I had one message pretty much planned and was really excited. It was, it was a super uplifting, you know, and this is an uplifting message too, but you got to hang with me. You got you to gotta hold out. Um, the Lord has made me, I, as I get older, I, I realize that I'm a revivalist at heart. I, I live, breathe, drink, sleep, everything. I want to see God come and move in a mighty way. I'm also an exhorter, uh, and I'm also got a little prophet going as well. So those three combinations um, is kind of what's coming out today. But um, if you just bow with me in prayer real quickly. Father God, we just dedicate this time. I dedicate my mind, my heart, my mouth to you, Lord. Please come and just fill us with your glorious hope. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, amen. All right, well, I wanna dive in in Colossians chapter one, verses three through 14. Listen to this. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. The faith and love that spring from what? From hope. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you where? In heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister. I'm going to be talking to you about faithfulness. We're talking to you about hope today. Okay. And when Paul is describing this man, he could probably use all kinds of different words, but he says, let me tell you what he is in one word. He's faithful. He's faithful. The older I get, the more God keeps elevating that one thing in my mind. I've, I have a running list of, of men that have spoken the word of God, have preached passionately for decades and somehow they weren't faithful in the end. But God says, well done, good, and what? Successful, faithful. Well done, good, and faithful. And he says, he's a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. What is he praying for us? Here's one of the most beautiful prayers in all of scripture. We continually ask God to what? To fill you with the knowledge of his will. Through all the wisdom and understanding that the spirit gives. This is a supernatural wisdom flowing right from the throne of God through his spirit to you. That's what God is desiring. It says, so that, here's the reason, that you may live a life worthy. Not just forgiven, not just washed, not just pardoned, but worthy that you could live a life that was worthy of Christ descending down into hell for you. That's unbelievable. You can live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. This is like an infinite life that God provides. Please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened, how? With all power according to his glorious might so that you might have what? This is the end game. So that you might have great endurance and patience. When would you need great endurance and great patience? When you're going through trials and sufferings and tribulations and all of those kinds of things. He says, listen, this prayer is culminating in that you would end up not giving up and giving in. 
but that you would stand strong, that you would be faithful, that you would have great endurance provided by the Holy Spirit and great patience and giving joyful things, not grumbling, complaining, but you're filled with joy and it's bubbling out of you. Joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance. Woo. He owns it all and you get part of it all. You're in the inheritance, I pray. He says, giving joyful thanks who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption. What is it? The forgiveness of sins. I hope you never, ever, ever lose the appreciation from what God has brought you from. <sighs> If you've confessed and put your faith in him, confessed your sins and repented, he has redeemed you. He has restored you. He is dreaming big things for you. And I hope you never leave, lose that appreciation, ever. Now, here in the last part of that reference, we see that there are two dominions. There is a kingdom of darkness and there is a kingdom of light. And he says he's ripped you out of one and he's placed you in the other and you should be extremely joyful and thankful but we have an enemy, as Pastor Dave was talking about last week. And if we have the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Satan has always, ever since he rebelled, has been trying to emulate and copy and be as God. And that's what he told us. You can be as God. So what does he do? He wants to create an unholy trinity through Satan himself being at the lead. Then the Antichrist than the false prophet. Now God, there's a problem because God is all powerful. He's omniscient. He knows everything about everything and he is omnipresent. He's everywhere. Satan is not the, any of those three, but he wants to be. He longs to be like God. So what does he do? Well, he loves to twist everything. All evil is a twisting of good. That's what it is. It's not, well, there's an equal amount of evil over here and an equal amount of good and they, you know, they serve one. No, God is good and everything he creates is beautiful and holy and righteous. And the cancer of sin and evil is eating on that good, trying to pervert it. The reason killing someone as murder would be wrong is because God gives life and that's taking God's design and twisting it. So what does Satan want to do? He wants to take the design of everything and twist it. One of those things that he does is take government that God created to do what? To reward righteousness and punish wickedness. That's why God created government. And he gave them a sword so that they could properly handle that responsibility that he's given them. But what Satan has done is he is, he is trying to hand over governments all around the world in order to persecute the people that truly love God. Matter of fact, every morning we meet for prayer and one thing that Sean does is he reads a different country that is going through persecution and if you've never done that, it will open your eyes and rip you out of self-centered living. As you realize that while we're over here in our air conditioning, there's people in boxcars all around the world going through unbelievable persecution and unwilling to give up their faith and trust and, and, and the Lord and are standing strong and are spreading the gospel at the cost of their life. It's amazing what is happening all around the world through believers that are being persecuted greatly, but the power of God is coming through them amazingly. So he is desiring ultimately to take and capture country after country. And every day I just keep thinking, another one, another one I'm hearing of mainly, a lot of them are Muslim, you know, ran governments that ultimately are persecuting people for, for loving Christ. In Canada, recently we've had multiple different people that were trying to do exactly what I'm doing right now without the freedom to do that. And, and just last week, one of them lost the, uh, the privilege to just have his liberty for the next six years. He's thrown in prison for just having a service. But Satan is desiring not, he's not just happy with one or two nations. He wants them all. He wants to be as God. So he's looking and longing for something called a global government. He, he desires to get all the nations so they will all serve him. How in the world does he do that? Well, he desires to control the money. He, he desires to control the media. 
He desires to control every single part of our culture through education and whether it's transportation or communication, we can keep going. He desires it all. He wants it all. And there are all kinds of technologies that are not evil or bad in of themselves, but are, could easily be used by the evil one, the Antichrist, to literally make it appear as though God, or Satan is like God, everywhere, knowing everything, and all-powerful. That's what he desires. So, we've got all kinds of different things. One, blockchain technology, which if you've never looked into that, I don't have time to go into it, but it's absolutely amazing as you look and read revelations of just the possibilities of, of those, uh, of what the world has now. Second, just cryptocurrency. Then this handy-dandy little device that we have right here. I'm going to keep it real close to me so they hear the sermon. But uh, <laughs> these, these little things are amazing, right? Absolutely awesome. But every Facebook post, um, every click of your mouse, they can hear every word. They've been listening for years your smart TV or smart refrigerator or smart toilet or whatever you have in your home, you know, they know more about you than you know about yourself. So Alexa knows your voice and Apple, your fingerprint and your face and Amazon, your palm. And Satan is pressing for this great reset where he can start controlling the money and to a whole nother level and all these different things. I think it's nothing less than a blueprint for a new world order the one world order that's possibly spoken of in Revelations. So, I don't know and don't pretend to know where we are exactly at on that journey. But Peter is saying, listen, the end of all things is near. Like, Peter, tell us how you really feel. I'm going to just tell it to you plainly. (laughs) The end of all things is near. That's what he shared. But I know this, you can take a piece of paper and you can fold it and then you can fold it again and fold it again and fold it again and fold it again. Somewhere in those folds, the last fold becomes more than all the other folds put together. And we've been thinking, well, this, and they're taking that, and there's this, but there's one of these folds that are coming that will be more than all of them put together. And you've seen some things, I think, over the last year and a half in America and around the world that has never happened before in the history of the world. 2,000 years. For 2,000 years, people have been getting together and celebrating Easter. And first time last year, you know, in 20, most of the churches around the world were not doing that, at least together. There's a host of different things that we say, this has never happened before. This has never happened before. So, how in the world... Does Satan want to do this? Through all kinds of means. And I'm going to race through a, a bunch of them and I'm going to try to sit down so I can calm down because this stuff gets me fired up. So uh, <laughs> any rate, but I want to just share with you um, one thing I believe that's preventing this and that is the Holy Spirit. But he's also, I believe, been doing it through this incredible nation that we are part of. That God has used the United States of America to do so many incredible things and to be a light. We have not been perfect by any stretch, but it has been a beacon on a hill for the world. And Satan hates this nation. He hates it with a passion. So, think with me for a moment. How has he tried to destroy us from within? One, evolutionary theory. The whole drug movement, rock and roll culture, just free love, pornography, perversion. He tries to use the education, which is one of the major things. Media through, through just the whole debt system that we are in. And then the welfare state. And he wants to fill churches with people that are consumers and not followers. Not passionate followers of Christ. He, wanted, he wants to, one, demoralization of primarily the men in our nation. That has been his goal for a very long time, to appeal to the base instincts of man, to lure him out of the home. So R.C. Sproul said these words, he says, the greatest revolution in American history was not the American Revolution or the Industrial Revolution, but the sexual revolution. And I'm gonna be like a doctor right now. I'm just gonna go in, it's like, okay, we're gonna sit down for this one because this is some bad news for just a few minutes. Okay, but we're going to get to a really, really, really awesome place. But we got we to gotta go through a little bad news. Okay, so listen to this. What have they done? 
over the last 60 years even, you can just take that time and look, and you see now almost 40% of the internet is pornographic material. One site alone in 2019 claimed 42 billion visits, 115 million a day, a day. Disintegration of the family, that was their goal. 1960s. I'm specifically talking about a group of people that came here in the 20s called the Frankfurt School, which is nothing more than just Marxist revolutionaries that wanted to destroy us from the inside. And how they do it. These are their goals. One, disintegration of the family. In 1960, there was 1% of 18-year-olds who had experienced their parents getting divorced. And 30 years later in our nation, 50% of young people by the time of 18 had experienced that. The Gallup poll says this, 1996, 27% of Americans supported legalizing same-sex marriage in 2021. In our year, it is at 70%, 70%, of our young adults. There is an entire generation that's being trained up in the wrong way. And if you're part of this church, I pray, I pray that God would give you divine wisdom to train up your children in a way that would honor him. Not only they can stand, but they can be a leader and a godly influence to the, to the people that are lost around them. And we are lost. We are lost this generation. Next, degrading of the roles. The words mother and father were recently removed from the U.S. passport application replaced with parent one, parent two. They want to destroy biblical patriarchy. Why? Because destroy multi-generational servant leadership in the home. It says a righteous man, he will leave an inheritance for his children's children. Here's a man that literally is thinking multi-generationally. He's saying, I'm living in the way that I'm living so that I can bless my children and leave a legacy for my grandchildren. That's what I'm thinking about those. And if you have thousands of godly men doing that, leading in their homes with wisdom and grace, it's a beautiful, beautiful grace upon a family. So we got to nix that one. Declare women oppressed. I'm not even going to go there, but destroy the children. Destroy the children. Those to whom God has ordained praise to shut the accuser's mouth. In the last few years, Planned Parenthood has claimed new record for abortions in a single year. Develop continual change to create a generational gap. Well, grandma wears weird clothes. I don't want to hear what she has to say. Why? Because it's constant change, constant change. It's just keep everything going. In Taekwondo, I, I teach the children, you know, the, the young people to, to bounce when they're out there. Why? Because motion is their camouflage. If they're going to move quickly, they want to already be in motion so you can't tell. And so Satan just wants to keep things changing constantly so we can't ever put our fingers on what is going on. Discourage proper authority. You can see that through defund the police. Just... God is the one who gave them the sword and knighted even some of you in this room to say, carry out my authority with grace and dignity. And here's the weapon to do that. Division. We see it in our culture everywhere. You can just look at BLM and look at on their website and you can look, listen very carefully to me, you can, at least it was there, that these are some of their goals, to break up the nuclear family and to promote gay and queer lifestyles. Part of their, this is what we're about. And the nation's largest teachers union say that they will be teaching critical race theory in all 50 states in 14,000 school districts. Teaching children hate. And they say across the board, I don't care if your governor says no, we say yes and we hire teachers, and we train the teachers that we hire because Dewey came over here and rooted himself in Columbia University and said, we're gonna teach the teachers so we can get the hearts of all the children. So, next, the destruction of family economics. Discourage maturity. In 1960, 30% of 30-year-old young men wanted no responsibility. In 1990, it was 70% of young men that did not want to have any responsibility. But it says that Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. You know why Satan wants to keep men boys? Because it's easier to fight a boy than it is to fight a man. That's why. So he wants to keep us immature, but God is always wanting to grow us up. So the U.S. Census Bureau said this, that more 13, or 18 to 34-year-olds still living with their parents than in any other arrangement now. 
In 1975, 57% were living with a spouse. In 2016, it dropped to 27%. Matter of fact, there's more ladies than not choosing not to get married because they don't want to babysit their whole life. That's a sad, sad thing, but this is what Satan has done. Next, dependence on the government, and I'm almost done. Dumbing down of our education through Common Core and teaching children to learn by feelings rather than facts. Why don't they teach us logic? Because you can't cram lies down somebody's throat as well if you teach them logic. The indoctrination in the schools have been, is overwhelming. Teaching sex ed classes, giving condoms to fifth graders. I got to share with you about the Frankfurt School that came over in the 20s. They basically split up into two realms. One, an educational cartel, they called themselves, and a media cartel. So they rooted themselves in Hollywood and Columbian University. And they have been at it for nearly 100 years, or around 100 years. So there are now, listen to this, how have they done on the media side? They've done really, really well, unfortunately. There are now 259 LGBTQ characters in children animation. I plead with you, I plead with you, the Bible says, above everything else, guard your heart, for it's the wellspring of life. My mom used to teach me a song, I'll oh, be careful little eyes what you see, I'll oh, be careful little ears what you hear, right? Because <laughs> the Father above is looking down in love, he loves us. And it's our job, parents, not to stick our, our, our children in front of a TV and let them be trained in things that are absolutely a twisting of every beautiful design that God had that brings life. So, Disney now, which used to be a bastion of family, you know, wonderful videos and things, donates funds to organizations all around the world to promote this very thing. I would challenge you to stop supporting them now, if not sooner. Ezra, when he went from Babylon back to Israel by God, he, God literally blessed him with his ability to go back and start the foundation that thousands of people or hundreds of thousands, not millions of people would worship in this temple. And he got to go back because he had devoted himself to three things. One, the study of the word of God. Two, to actually walking it out. And three, to teaching others. And when he comes, the first thing that happens is the enemies of Israel come up and they say, hey, what you doing? He says, I'm building this temple so we can all worship the one true living God. Great, we worship him too. We'll help you. And Ezra did not fall for it because he was a wise man. I want to know the intention behind what you're offering. And we have, it seems, the American church has been so gullible, we say, oh yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll help us with our children, they'll teach you. What's the intent? Who are these people? What are they doing? What, what are their goals? What are they wanting to do? It's not just this abstract thing. It is a militant homosexual agenda. Militant. Just this last week, I believe it was, San Francisco Gay Men's Choir singing this song, We're Coming for Your Children. We'll convert your children happens bit by bit. Quietly and subtly, you will barely notice it. That's what they say. Our defenseless children are being preyed upon ruthlessly and relentlessly by the forces of darkness, but apparently we have so to be so politically correct and so incredibly apathetic that we can't say or do anything because they must have free reign to destroy and devour every child without any opposition. I don't know, but your children and my children are little arcs of the covenant. They are created by God as a vessel for the Holy Spirit to live inside. That's what they are. And when they were taking the thing, the holy things in the, in the temple, Jesus got a little angry. He got a little testy. Matter of fact, he came into the temple with a whip. I'm not uh, asking for violence. I am asking that we would be violent in the spirit realm. That we would be willing to get on our knees. This is they take it by force. The righteous take it by force that we start praying for our children and we start calling out. This is going to be a bastion of righteousness where we can train up godly children by the thousands and bless this culture. That's what God is desiring. So, all I know is that where we're at right now is pretty crazy because they are training our children. If, if your children are in public school, they are training your children very, very, very early to adopt things that God says is absolutely antithetical to everything he desires because he loves us and desires what is best for us. 
So what happens? In Sodom and Gomorrah, they, uh, it says that all the men, when the angels came to them, they lusted after the angels and God, through the angels, strikes them with blindness and they're groping, it says, in the darkness. You would think they would say, well, we're being disciplined by God. Something, can you see? I can't see either. But it says they keep groping after them. They keep going after them. It says that every man, young and old, see, it's one thing to have a culture of older guys that have been polluted, but it's another thing when Satan starts preying on the children to the point where it is completely through young and old. And that's what we are facing. John Wesley was an incredible man of God. I don't think the United States of America would be here without that man who traveled 200,000 miles in his lure jet. No, on horseback, anywhere from 10 to 90 miles a day through every type of condition you could possibly imagine. He got up at three o'clock in the morning, spent hours in prayer, and was preaching by five o'clock, usually in the morning. He spoke 40,000 sermons, 40,000 sermons. And this man would roll over in his grave, if you know what happened just recently, the UK, the Methodists in the UK just caved political pressure to vote and allow same-sex marriage in the Methodist church. I'm telling you all this stuff because this is some really bad news. And we need some hope that goes beyond, and I'm getting ready to give it to you, okay? But I want you to understand where we are at. Listen to this. This is the Methodist Church now holds two parallel definitions of marriage. One position says marriage can only between, can be between a man and a woman, and the other that marriage can be between any two people. It's like, well, since we've thrown truth out and we just make up our own and we live in this post-postmodern world now, we, just, we can just willy-nilly just come up with whatever we want. So they went ahead and also voted to recognize, accept, and celebrate the love and commitment of unmarried cohabitating couples while they do it. Can't leave out one, right? But God says, even if an angel comes to you and preaches another gospel, don't listen. Don't listen to if we were celebrating the love and the commitment, marry one another. Commit, actually give your life to the other to serve them. If you really want to impress me, then let's, let's go all in. So, why all the bad news? <laughs> I think of David. David had been anointed by God. He's in the chosen city, Jerusalem, and he's there. It's called the city of David because God gave it to him. They mocked him, said, you couldn't take this man. The blind and the lame could keep you away. And he says, oh, no, no, no. God is for me. Who can be against me? And he comes up and he calls the city, the city of David. He's here, but now he has his son, Absalom. He's perfect from head to toe. And Absalom thinks, why do I serve my dad? Let's just, we'll just take over. And so this wicked young man, he starts coming and he starts trying to kick his father out. And how he does it, he comes and starts making accusations towards his father. Anybody comes to talk to the king, he says, oh, the king doesn't have time to hear you. He doesn't care about you anyways. But if I were king, and it says he listens to the men, he speaks to the men, and then he touched the men. And it says he won the hearts of the men in Israel. And David gets this terrible news that the men's hearts are for Absalom and not David. And David realizes he's got a few faithful people there and he starts running out of his kingdom to spare his life and his people's lives. He leaves a few ladies back and it says he goes through the Kidron Valley barefoot and weeping. Can you imagine the pain of this mighty warrior sobbing, doesn't even have time to put shoes on as he's fleeing from his son. He has just lost everything. He's lost his home. He's lost his job. He's lost his title. He's lost his son. He's lost everything, it appears. And he's got this ragtag group of people running with him. Maybe most of them, maybe not having their shoes on either. And they're fleeing in tears. And all of a sudden, David looks and there's this man coming with 600 men. And he says, what are, you, what are you doing? And it's a man named Atei. And Atei says, I'm going with you. And I'm going to remain with you. I'm going to fight for you. This is a righteous kingdom. And he says, man, you need to go back. He says, you're, you're literally from a city called Gath. A Philistine city. He's a Philistine guy that he understands that David conquered because of God's power. He conquered, conquered the, the, the hero that came from his city. And he says, I'm telling you who I'm going with. I'm going with God. That's who I'm going with. 
And when everything started turning and it looked like they were going to be ran over, there's this man, Atei, and David says, you need to go back. Go back and just serve under Absalom and you'll have a wonderful life. And this is what he responds, how he responds. He says, as surely as the Lord lives and as my Lord the king lives, wherever my Lord the king may be, whether it means life or death, there will your servant be. And David is amazed. He says, this doesn't make sense. You just recently came to us, just recently. You are my enemy from Gath of all cities. But listen to what his name means. His name means this, near, timely, and with the Lord. Let me tell you something, God, it's not by accident you're alive on this planet today. It's timely. God placed you here at this time to be with him and to be near him in good times and in bad times. And when you know the rest of the story, it's amazing because when you find out a little later, I'm not going to share it now. What happens to Atea, you realize that he is rewarded for his faithfulness. I can't even think about that story without thinking about Ruth. Who Naomi goes and in a time of great disaster in Israel, a famine, she, they go to Moab, which are the enemies of Israel, and she's looking for daughters for her husband, for her, for her sons. And what happens is Naomi's husband dies while they're there, and then both of her sons die, and so she has these two um, daughter-in-laws, and she said, I'm going back to Israel. And she's going to this little town called Bethlehem, little unknown town in Judea. <laughs> and she says, I'm going back to, this, to my little hometown here, but why don't you girls stay here because there's nothing for you. You'll just be a slave in a foreign country. So go back to your people and your gods and just have a wonderful life. And one of them, they hug her, she cries. Orpha, she cries and weeps and says, I'm gonna miss you so bad. But she goes back to her people and her gods. But Ruth says, over my dead body. Basically she says, your God is my God and where you live, I'm gonna live. And where you die, I'm gonna die. And I call a curse down on myself if anything but death separates you and me. And find out what happens later in Ruth's life. It's an incredible thing. You see a a man named Elisha. He's out plowing with 12 teams of oxen, it says, and Elijah comes to him. And Elijah throws his mantle over him. And man, Elisha just takes his oxen and and takes the wood, the yokes, and builds an altar. And he takes the oxen and puts them on the table. You talk about leaving all for Christ. He just, boom, I'm going. And he goes with Elijah. But Elijah is there and he's sharing with, you know, all the different prophets of that day and their prophet schools, learning about being able to speak the word of God and all this kind of stuff. But one man says, I'm not just going to learn about him. I'm going to be with him. I'm going to remain with him. And as Elijah literally encourages, if you stay here, I'm going to go across this, this river and I'll be back. And he's over my dead body. Why? Because he had asked, listen, this is what I want from you. I want a double portion. It seems to me that Jesus said somewhere, greater things than these will you do. But we have to remain in him. We have to abide with him in good times and in bad times, right? We can't be farewell Christ- or fair weather Christians. We have to be those who are with him in good times and in bad times. And so you see Elijah, he comes up and he takes his mantle and slaps the water and he goes through and the water parts and everybody's like, oh, well, that was cool. But then it closes and they don't get to go across. And there's Elisha and Elisha is with him. And he says, you're not getting out of my sight, buddy. And pretty soon here comes the the chariot of fire comes down and picks up Elijah and Elijah drops his mantle and guess who catches it? The one who is near and Elisha comes back and he's coming to all these prophets that are watching and he comes up and says, here we go. And he takes the mantle and slaps the water. And you know what happens? The waters part because Elisha got a double portion of Elijah's power because he remained. He remained in fellowship. And so what is, what is Satan wanting to do as we continue just here a couple more? Just the destruction of identity the destruction of identity, both national and personal, through revisionist history and encouraging and aiding confusion. Madison, Wisconsin schools, listen to this, are aiding students to transition genders without their parents' knowledge. This is United States of America. This whole transgender deal. You want to look at it biologically, scientifically, whatever. You have XX and you have XY. That's it. That's what you have. That's it. Anything else is... A a lie. It's a satanic lie. Why? It's a lie to steal these young people's true identity. 
What does Jesus say? You hear the, the Trinitarian speech. It says, let us make man in our own image, male and female, he created them. What are we talking about? Going all the way back, we're facing to the very first thing that God created, us to be in his image. It's throwing stones at the image of God. That's what it is. Because when you look at a young lady, you see some parts. When I look at my wife, I say, listen, I see the compassion in her. Two totally different worlds. When one of my, fall, my kids fall or something, I'm always telling them, you know why that happened? Let me tell you. To do. It's out of love. Like I'm, I'm, I'm telling them, like, here's what you I'm an exhorter. And she's just, would you leave him alone? I'm trying, <laughs> trying to comfort him, right? And we're both loving them. So it doesn't happen again. And so they get comfort in the moment. I, out of love, I throw my kids up. I've never seen my wife throw their, uh, my kids up. She holds them close. I throw them up. Man, I got to live a little bit, you know. But it's both the same thing. And so you see these different parts and it's beautiful. Kind of. So listen to John MacArthur. He says, he calls this, this transgender whole attack on our young people a form of personal suicide. An end of your true identity and existence. He says, you can't get more extreme than saying this. I am not who I actually am. What are we seeing? We're seeing literally attack by the enemy going all the way back to the garden and saying, listen, you won't surely die. You can be as God. You can call your own shots, outline your, your narrative, whatever you want. So now there's one in six adults in Generation Z considering themselves LGBT. One doctor recently did a surgery for a five-year-old for a sex change. This is a child, a child abuse on an unbelievable level, unbelievable level. You go to Romans 1 and what do you see? That God turns them over to a reprobate mind. And it says proclaiming themselves to be wise, they became fools. So what do we actually see? Many times you look in the Old Testament and it says that God's gonna pour out his blessing and with those blessings he starts and says that God blessed them. He blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply. And many times when he starts his blessings in the Old Testament, the first one he starts with was he blesses the womb. Then he blesses the barns. He blesses the womb and he blesses the barns. But what are you seeing? You're seeing the same thing you saw in Egyptian days when Moses is, is coming to life. Literally, God is giving him life. What's Pharaoh doing? He's taking the children, has ordered that all the Hebrew little boys are taken and thrown into the Nile River, which was called Happy. It was, it was the, the goddess of sexual pleasure and fertility. And they're taking the little Hebrew children that are sanctified out to the Lord, and they're throwing them into the mouth of their God. And that's exactly what we're seeing today. Exactly what we're seeing as the first fruits, the very first blessing as it are being attacked by the enemy. What's the first institution? The first institution that God created is the family. So we're going all the way back to the first institution and the first blessing. What's the first words out of your mouth when your child is born? It's a boy, it's a girl. But now we say, we don't know what it is. We'll wait till four until it feels whatever. So listen to this. They're 19 times more likely to end their life transgender. Why? Because Satan's goal is confusion, depression, and then destruction. That's what he wants. And if you know about ancient Egypt, the pharaohs at times, they would take their servants and they would have them killed when they died so that they could serve them, they thought, in the afterlife. One, at one point, they had found a grave with 68 servants that had been killed with their master. And I look at today's culture and I say, whether we're, we're, we're worshiping materialism or pleasure or whatever, you're watching the slaves of those ideologies die with them. And it's terribly, terribly sad to watch. Terribly sad. So what is Satan's end goal? His end goal is this, that he just wants the destruction of hope. He wants the destruction of hope. Recently, there was a New York Times article that said a half, the half trillion dollar depression. And I know this is a heavy message up to this point, but we're getting ready to turn a corner. But he says a half trillion dollar depression. Why? Because there are more people dying by suicide than car crashes. That includes middle school students. There are more soldiers dying by suicide than in battle today. And there's been a 30% increase in suicide from 35 to 64 in one decade in our nation. 
Now, what does Satan want to do? He wants this nihilism, ultimately just a giving up of all hope so that we will look and say, well, the American dollar is crashing. We'll look to the global dollar. We'll look to this cryptocurrency. We'll look to this, you know, this one giant global government that we find our hope in. But our hope is not in that. Our hope is in God. We actually serve the God of hope. That's what he's called. It's his name. It's actually the name of God, the God of hope. That's incredible. So I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna tell you the answer. We're gonna get rocking here. Listen carefully. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention our prayers. We remember before our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love. Where did those come from? And your endurance inspired by hope. So there's, he says, there's this bedrock of hope that faith and love are springing forth. They're working, but it really comes from this giant root system or this foundation of hope that I, I am the God of hope. And you get it so deep in your soul that you can never be discouraged because you doesn't matter what they do to me. Doesn't matter what they do to you. If you are planted, if you are established in the soil of God's hope, nothing, you can bear fruit in any season, any season. So it says this, for we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you because of your gospel came not only simply with words, but also with power. What did the power represent? With the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message when? In good times? No. In the midst of severe suffering with what? Joy given by who? The Holy Spirit. This is a supernatural joy that is in you that despite no matter what you're going through, you take Paul, you strip him naked, you beat him, you do whatever, you throw him in a prison cell, lock him in the inner chamber. He's gonna be witnessing the guys around him. He's gonna be singing and praying when he gets out, he's going to go to the other guys and say, you guys doing all right? He's going to encourage his brother in the Bible says. Say, what in the world? What kind of Christianity is this? What is going on? But he says, listen, this is, this is not me. This is the Holy Spirit within me. He's given me joy unspeakable and full of glory. It's not about what I'm going through. It's about what I'm going, who I'm going to and who I'm going with. He's with me. He's in me. If he's for me, who can be against me? And so he just goes for it. And he's encouraging others. And say, Look at my back, man. He's just going. Listen to Romans 12, 12. It says, be joyful in hope. That's a huge command, isn't it? When the whole world feels like it's coming in on you, it's like, whoa, what you so joyful about? Are you that ignorant? No, I'm joyful in hope. I'm not just hoping in hope. I'm hoping in the God of hope. So I'm overwhelmed with it and I'm running over with it. It's literally coming out of me at every, every cell or every pore. <laughs> so he says, patient in affliction and faithful in prayer. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. First Peter says this. Now this is the guy who, remember, he had ran at one point when they said, do you know Jesus? He's like, oh, I'm going to go through a little suffering. He's like, I'm not going to do it. But now something has happened in him. He's been filled and baptized in the Holy Spirit. And this guy, according to tradition, when they go to kill him, he says, no, no, no. Don't kill me the same way you killed my master. He's like, crucify me upside down. This is the Peter that's talking to you right now. Listen to this. He says, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves with the same attitude. Pastor Dave was just talking about yesterday when he got the privilege to own a firearm, he went and got one. Are you weaponless in the Christian faith? He says, here's what you arm yourself with. An attitude. What's the attitude? Here it is. The same attitude of Christ that he had, right? Because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, we do not live the rest of our earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. You see these three boys, Hebrew boys, they were taken from Jerusalem, taken, they could have pouted, they could have done all this stuff, but instead they go and they say, listen, in good times and bad times, we're gonna stand up for what's right. And we're gonna stand when the whole world is bowing, eating dirt, trying to get promoted in a kingdom that's going down, we're going to stand for the king of kings and we're not going to be moved. We're gonna stand and we're gonna be faithful. And that's exactly what happens. They take the biggest guys and they throw them in the fiery furnace. And the only thing that happens is the fire burns the ropes off of them. That's the only thing that happens. And they're free and then they're dancing. But it seems to me that I remember that the king stands up. He's freaking out. He jumps up because he says, didn't we throw three in there? Because there's four and one is shining brighter than the sun. Because when you stand up for Christ, Christ shows up for you. Do you understand? This is, this is important that we are willing to stand for righteousness sake. 
So, listen to 1 Peter. It says, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal. And we've had people go into fire before. Like, don't be surprised. The fiery ordeal that has come upon you to test you. You're in a test. This brief vapor is a test. He says, as though something strange were happening to you. What in the world's going on, God? He says, but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed. I don't even know what that means, but it sounds really good, right? Overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rest on you. Now listen to me. Daniel, the three uh, amigos' friend, you know, who's taken from Jerusalem, taken to Babylon, as he's taken, they were emasculated. They were, they were taken as men with say, listen, you're not going to have any seed. You're not going to have descendants. You better live for this little life right here and try to serve us in this little brief kingdom because you're not having any legacy left. That could be depressing to a man if he has vision. And then they mock him. They say, here, basically in Psalms, I believe it's, it's the time that the people were over, the people of God were over. In Babylon, it says, by the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars, we hung our harps. For there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of those songs of Zion. Hey, sing us one of those little ditties, you know, when you were over in Zion, you know, remember that? Sing us one now. Man, they burst out. He says, I will sing with all of my heart because it's not about my situation. It's about the God of hope that is within me. And Daniel stood strong and he went into the lion's den, right? And he's there. And I believe he had a great night's sleep, had his head on some lion, just resting just like Jesus in the middle of the storm. And the king is freaking out. He doesn't eat. He doesn't have any live entertainment. All this stuff. He can't sleep. He's walking all night praying to Daniel's God, it says. Oh, God of Daniel, please save Daniel. And Daniel's like, what you worried about, man? He's in there and he cries out the next morning. He says, Daniel, was the God you serve continually, was he able to save you? I don't know how it would have gone. He said, hey, Daniel, was the God you serve haphazardly or, you know, in good times? Was he Daniel? <laughs> But he says, King, you have nothing to worry about. My God is delivering. He says, who can say from the mouth of lions, who is this God? Daniel gets exalted and God gets glorified because he went through something and he understood. Listen, the, the three Hebrew boys said, listen, we know our God can save us and we believe he's going to save us. But even if he doesn't, let me just tell you something. If I had a chance to come back here, we would do the very same thing because we know that our God is omniscient and he wants what's best for us. And thousands of years from now, guess what's going to be happening? People are going to be at a little church in New Palm City, New Hope, and they're going to be hearing about our faith and our trust, and it's going to encourage them, and faith's going to well up in them to be more than conquerors in their day. So we're going to do the same thing that we would have done, whether we go up as crispy critters or God shows up and does something crazy awesome for us. So, 1 Peter again, he says, be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the, father, the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. That's an awesome promise. What does steadfast mean? It means dutifully firm, solid, resilient, unwavering, unyielding, unlikely to change. Are you unlikely to change? Because God is changeless. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we're going to stand up for right. Well, that's not the way the wind is blowing. It's okay. It's all right. There's something called a rock, and you could be a rock amongst the current of life. It's all right. So he says, resolute. And he says, listen to Paul, he says, but join me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, not on your own, but by my power. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And you've got these people like John the Baptist who lost his head for following Jesus. These weren't people that were just saying things, you do this, and they weren't doing it themselves. These were people that were saying, listen, this is worth everything. This is worth everything. Paul literally says these light and momentary troubles, he calls them. So somebody texted me a while back and it was, you know, we were going through quite a bit of stuff. <laughs> it was, 
it was, felt like an avalanche. And uh, somebody texted me and says, Pastor Steve, you doing all right? And I was driving. And I'll never forget where I was. I don't, I don't think. I'm driving. And so I just picked up my phone and said, many afflictions, many trials. But God is faithful. And I looked down at my phone, make sure I wasn't cursing at someone or something, you know. Make sure, what, what, did, what did autocorrect do? And I looked down at my phone for a moment and it says this. I think I put it up there. Grant, do I have it up there? That's what it said on my phone. And I was like, oh, oh. And then I had this overwhelming conviction that God was rebuking me, saying, quit babbing a belly ache. That's exactly what it is. So I sent him that. I said, many trials, many afflictions. They're wee little tiny ones. Little tiny afflictions that I'm going through right now. But man, we've got something really good on the other side. It's all about perspective. Paul says, the things that I have promised me over here and the spirit that's living inside of me, it's not even worth mentioning these things. He says, yeah, I've been shipwrecked and yeah, I've been, I've been tortured and I've been this and I've been beaten and this many times I've been whipped and I've been thrown in prison and I've been you know, naked and I've been, and he keeps going and going and going. He's like, good Lord, what is going on? And he says, and those aren't even worth mentioning compared to what the glory that God is calling me to. It's an eternal glory. I'm part of a kingdom. He says, listen, this kingdom is coming to a close, but there is a kingdom that I'm part of. He says that literally of its, at the increase of its kingdom and of its peace, not just of the kingdom and of its peace, but of the increase. In other words, you are part of a kingdom that's doing this forever and ever and ever eternally. You're part of this and you're down here. And we're like, we haven't, we're not even out of this age yet. What's it gonna be like next age? This is gonna be crazy. He's like, don't forget this is an, oh, I tried to sit down so I would calm down. But anyways, <laughs> these light and momentary afflictions. But he says, listen, most will fall away. That's what scripture tells us. Most will lose this viewpoint and they will look and say, what's God doing for my life? I thought this was supposed to better my life. You know, we're falling away in America faster than almost any other place in the world. According to Cultural Research Center, th though many consider themselves to be Christians, only 6% actually have a biblical worldview. 5% among 30 to 49-year-olds and 2% among 18 to 29-year-olds. If that continues, I wasn't able to find what 18 and below, but I'm guessing that it's your, if your child is walking with the Lord, they're probably in the 1%. Jesus had 12 people that changed the world. It says, as in the days of Noah, so shall it be when the Son of Man returns. It means you're going to look a little crazy to the culture if you're standing up and doing what you're supposed to be doing. But Noah actually got his family and they actually saved the world. And that's why you're here today. Because of what he did. It's okay. It's okay. He found grace in the eyes of the Lord. But let me just share as I, as I wind up, end up, wind down whatever I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm just going to show you three little slides. This is American cultural Christianity. That I come, maybe, you know, have my little thing going here, my little religion, and hopefully it's bettering my life. But you have all over the, all over the world Nation after nation after nation is being taken over by Islam. They have a different, they have a different view of this. As their religion is basically everything and their life is almost nothing. They say, this is what it's about. Allah and all. And they're taking over the world right now. But neither one of those are mature biblical stances. Because Paul says, I'm going to explain to you what it looks like, what the slide's going to look like. This is what it looks like right here. For me to live is Christ. For me to live is him. He's my strength. He's my wisdom. He's everything to me. He's everything to me. I'm not serving him, so he betters my life. Because your love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So when I'm going through hard times or great times, they're going to be praising, praising me, coming out no matter what's going on in my life because it's not about my life. This life is about walking with you and coming to you. So I'm good. But not all have that stance. Paul had that stance, obviously. But he says, Demas, because he loved this present world, has deserted me. There was an ulterior something underneath. He's like, dude, this ain't worth it, man. I'm out of here. But the Bible has, I, mean, I wanted to call a sermon, Remember Lot's Wife. 
we can look back at this life and miss everything that God is calling us to. Everything. But he says, keep your eye on me. Keep your eye on me. Because one day the kingdoms of this world will be the kingdom of our God and he shall reign forever and ever. And he's coming back. He's coming back soon. And his name is faithful and true. And he's looking for Semper Fidelis, right? Those who are constantly faithful. Ever faithful. That's who he is. That's he wants to work his character. It's called imputed, imparted righteousness where he actually puts his character. He didn't just put his, his robe of righteousness around you. He puts his character within you through his Holy Spirit and you become what he is. That's what he wants to do. So, says he's going to destroy the enemy, his enemies with the glory of his coming. He don't have to get off his horse. He don't have to throw a punch. He just comes down and they just melt in his presence. That's an awesome God that we serve. And it says the saints will ever sing for joy. We will have this tune on our lips for eternity. So don't, don't be, you know, kicking dirt around with your head down right now. You better look out and you better go, by the grace of God, I'm going to be overflowing. Because listen to this passage, Romans 15, 13, it says this, May the God of hope fill you, to the brim, right? Fill you with all hope and peace. Do you have those? All hope, sounds like a lot, and peace as you trust in him, as you literally entrust yourself to him, the peace of God and the hope of God is like, oh man, I can just feel it. And it says that you may overflow. Now I can't contain it. Now it's coming out everywhere. So in a hopeless generation where people are just walking around, not wanting to live, man, you're bubbling with hope. You're, you're, infectious to everyone. Don't get close. Don't get within six feet of me. I promise you're going to get hope all over you. I go to a church called New Hope. God gave us this name because they knew this generation is going to need hope. They need a bedrock of hope and we can be those people filled with hope, overflowing with hope, right? And when everybody else is going, I don't know what's going on. We say, "I I know what's going on and I know where I'm going and I want you to come with me. It's awesome. It's awesome. So I'm going to end right here. One story. But Noah, he saved the world. John the Baptist, he got a new head. He's fine. <laughs> Daniel, <laughs> he came out <laughs> without one scratch. He came, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they came out. They were exalted. And guess what? They didn't even smell like smoke. You can come out of this culture not smelling like all the stink around you. Elisha, you know what he got? He got a double portion. That's what he got because he stayed close. Atei got exalted. When you look and it says, David split up all of his men. You're over this, how, how many hundreds of thousands of men? Atei was one of the three men that he says, I'm giving rulership to you because when we were down and out and you thought that you were coming with me to lay your life down for me, you were gonna be exalted. And I'm gonna put you, as Jesus says, over nations. I'm looking for those people that are with me through hard times so that I can go, I'm gonna put you over this nation. What nation do you want? to reign and rule in a righteous way for Christ. That his love can rule and reign. That's what he's waiting for. And Ruth, look at Ruth. She's written into the story of God. She thinks she's going and no hope, no, everything's going. And he says, no, 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 no. You're the beginning of something. Let me tell you something. Woo, through your descendants, do you have any idea what's getting ready to happen? I hope you know. Jesus Christ is coming to the world and every nation in the world is gonna be blessed. Every nation of the world is going to be blessed. But you know what? We can lose our hope. When I was a child, my dad brought me up to a steward. And I watched people standing there with their hand on a car. And I was like, it was the fourth day, I believe. It was a hand-a-thon. And I'm sitting there as a kid thinking, man, I slept all night last night. I'm still tired. This person didn't sleep at all. And the night before that, I was sleeping the night before that. And they didn't look tired. Like, what in the world? I was picturing, what if I just took just to minister hope a little bit. I said, hey guys, there's been a little misunderstanding. I know you thought you got this car if you stood here, but it's actually this um, matchbox car right here. That was, I'm going home and going to bed, right? Instantly there, everything would have happened. It would have vaporized their courage to stand or act like nothing was going on. Why? Because their hope was diminished. But as soon as you see what God is promising you, let me tell you something, strength, supernatural strength comes into you because you realize I am part of something massive, massive. So I'm gonna tell you a little story and I'm done. It's a true story. Here in Florida, a man named Lieutenant John Blanchard, 
he was in a library and he's reading through this book and as he's reading through this book, he looks on the side of the book and he sees all these uh, handwritten notes and they're just brilliant and compassion, all these different things. And he's like, man. So he goes to the librarian and says, listen, I gotta get this book. And she says, okay, we'll order you one. He says, no, I gotta get this book. And she says, okay, well, I guess we'll order you that book and we'll give you that book and we'll order another one. She says, okay, so he buys it. And he goes through and he finds the same handwriting. He finds the lady's name that matches the handwriting on the sides. And so he writes a letter to this woman and says, listen, I got your, your, this book that you had written in and it's just, it's unbelievable the things you've written in here. And they start this long distance relationship. He's shipped out on duty and he's there, he's a fighter pilot and, and man, bullets are riddling his plane and things and he's terrified. And he's riding her back and she says, listen, when all these bullets are hitting your plane, just say, even though I walk, through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. She always had the perfect answer for him. And as their hearts just became one through years of going back and forth. And he said, will you please send me a picture? And this is what she said. The best relationships are not built on looks. That's what she told him. She said, maybe I'll be the most beautiful woman in the world. And I'll think you just love me because of my beauty. Maybe I'm not quite so beautiful. You're just, you're just I don't know, being compassionate or whatever. So one day we'll meet and we'll see. This is that day. He's standing at Grand Central Station, New York, five minutes till seven. She's supposed to be walking out in five minutes. He can hardly stand it. All he knows to look for is a lady wearing a red rose. That's what she told him. I'll be the one wearing the red rose. I want to read you the, his description of that night to end. A young woman was coming towards me, her figure tall and slim. Her long blonde hair laid back in curls from her delicate ears. Her lips were full and gentle. Her eyes blue as flowers. And in her pale green suit, she was like springtime come alive. Almost uncontrollably, I started towards her, not realizing this woman was not wearing a red rose. As I moved, a small provocative smile curled her lips and said, Go on my way, soldier. Then I saw her. She was standing almost directly behind this beautiful woman. A woman well past 40. She had gray hair tucked under a worn hat. She was more than plump, her thick ankled feet thrust into low-heeled shoes. The lady in the green suit was quickly walking away. I felt as though I was split in two. So keen was my desire to follow the lady in the green suit, yet so deep was my longing for the woman whose words touched my heart and comforted my soul. And there she stood. Her pale, plump face was gentle and sensible. Her eyes, her gray eyes, had a warm and kind twinkle. I did not hesitate as my hands gripped that small, worn copy of the leather book that would identify me with her. I thought to myself, this might not be love, but it may be something as precious, a long time friendship to whom I could bear my soul and forever be grateful. I squared my shoulders and saluted as I held out that book, all the time feeling choked at the bitterness of my own disappointment. I am Lieutenant John Blanchard, and you must be Miss Medell. I am so glad you could meet with me. May I take you out to dinner? The woman's face broadened into a wide and tolerant smile. She said, son, I don't know what this is all about, but the young lady in the green suit, who you just went by, she begged me to wear this rose on my coat, and she said that if you were to ask me out to dinner, that she would be waiting for you in a restaurant across the street she said it was some kind of test. Now, if there's that brilliant of women out there, I promise you, God knows how to test his people and say, are you just wanting me for your life or are you really running after me? Even if it looks like suffering in the short term, even if it looks like whatever, do you run after me? Because I'm telling you, everything beautiful you've ever seen, everything beautiful that warms your heart, that's truly life in the end, comes from him. Every good and perfect gift comes from our Heavenly Father. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, what? No heart has imagined what the Lord has stored up for those who love him. 
I pray that you will be faithful. I pray that you'll be filled with hope, that you have new hope bursting out of your heart. Will you bow your head with me? Raise your hand if you need that new hope. If you say, God, I need more. I want to be faithful to the end. I want to be hopeful and filled to the uttermost till I'm overflowing. God, I pray your blessing on every single person here. Lord, with those with their hands raised, I pray that you would fill them, God, with new hope. God, I pray that it would, you would establish them on the foundation of the God of all hope, Lord, that there's nothing that can discourage us or make us weary and well-doing because we are waiting on you and we are trusting you and we are being endowed with new power and new strength and new vision as you place your hope within us. So God, I pray a blessing on every single person in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen and amen.